And so I swear I'm not going to cry when I get up here, but it gets me every time when I get to share that with you guys. Okay, let's get a grip here. So 1 John 3.11 is where we're going to start. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. So 1 John 3.11 is where we're going to start. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son, to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That house is on fire. So that's what Claire said to me while we were sitting at the dinner table one day this week, one night at, after dark. And so I looked at her, and she, she goes, that house is on fire. And so I leaned over where she was at the table and looked out the window, and the house up the street, about 150 yards up the street from us was on fire. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So I'm running to get my phone, um, and usually I'm pretty calm. But to a fault, when there's an emergency, I'm like too, too calm. I was not calm. I, I dialing, I can't, it's my friend's house up the street, I know him, I just texted with him this week, and I couldn't remember his name, okay, and I was trying to explain that the fire was coming out of the chimney, but I couldn't remember the word for chimney, <laughs> so um, we get 911, you know, and there, she does a thing, and she says, um, go and get those people out of that house, I was like, okay, and Claire heard that, and she goes, do not go in that house if it's on fire. <laughs> and for a brief instant, I'm like picturing, you know, those TV shows where the embers are falling and you're running, carrying two people. <clears throat> that is not what happened because um, I had, you know, I had a big accident about a year ago and I haven't run since then. And so I'm running. I've got these clog shoes I've slipped on in the garage. They bear, they're way too big for me. And I'm trying to run up my treacherous driveway. <clears throat> and it is literally, it's like Frankenstein on roller skates. You know, I'm trying to run, and I'm running up the street, and I'm trying to remember my friend's name, and I'm like, that's a chimney, that's a chimney, and, I'm, and I, it's about 150 yards, so I, barely, I get to the steps, and I could see him in there, and he's watching TV, he's like clicking TV stations, because everything's fine. And I, I, uh, I run, and I say, you gotta you got get out, there's a fire, and he goes, what are you talking about? I said, your, your chimney, you know, your chimney. I'm like, and I'm picturing it like blowing up the attic, like it's just going to explode in there and everything. And uh, so he looks at the fireplace, it looks fine. And finally, he comes out with me and, you know, it's still blowing. And, uh, you know, it was just a terror, to me, it was terrifying. Now, right after that, it started to calm down. It was just the chimney, but it looked like just, if you've ever seen that, it was just crazy blowing out of the thing. And I was so concerned 
about him in that moment, you know? And his family, I didn't know if his dad was there. His dad's over 80 years old, and I didn't know what, what I was going to find or if the house was full of smoke. You know, the fire department comes, the lights and ladders and all of that. Um, but why did I go into that mode? Like, close to panic, running with all I've got up the street, around a corner, sliding all over the place. Uh, I don't know anybody who wouldn't have done that. I don't know anybody who wouldn't have done exactly what I did. Knowing Jesus as my Savior didn't cause me to run any faster or feel any different. Anyone would have done it, believer or not. I didn't have more compassion or urgency because I know Jesus. So what is different about a follower of Jesus when it comes to compassion towards other people? Is there anything different about those of us who follow Jesus when it comes to compassion for other people? Anyone would have done what I did, right? We're going to talk about that in a minute. I want to set up this series that we're in real quickly. It's our reset series, January, a little bit into February. We're resetting our hearts on the truth about who God is. When we understand the truth about who God is from his word, we can then understand who we are. When we understand who we are, we can understand who others are and how we relate to them. That's sort of the process that we're going through, and there's more. I'm only going to talk about that right now, but I'm in that part where we're talking about other people, one another. What's different about a follower of Jesus when it comes to compassion towards other people? How do we reset our hearts according to the word of the Lord and value others according to it? How do we reset our hearts according to his word and value other people according to that? So if you are a believer, you do see other people differently. This is a certain value that a believer has for someone who is not a believer that someone who is not a believer cannot understand, cannot have the same value. And no offense if you're not a believer, that's totally fine. Just like Lisa prayed this morning, you are free to explore. Maybe this is a chance for you to sort of say, see, okay, what does the Bible say a little about believers and what they think about other people or should? There's one passage that we read just a moment ago from 1 John 4, and I want to reread it. I'm going to read it a couple times this morning. Uh, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So how do we rightly reset our hearts according to his word to love others? Well, I've got three points. Fire number one, fire number two, and fire number three. Three fires that we have to deal with or understand as a believer. One fire to douse and two to pour the fuel on, two to stoke. So fire number one, the fire to douse, and I'll tell you what it is in just a minute. Why do you think, now if you listen to those verses that were just read, why do you think it had to, that God had to say through John over and over, love one another, love one another, love one another, Why did he have to say that? Because he had to say it. 
that make sense to you? He wouldn't have said it if he didn't have to say it. We, the followers of Jesus, need a reminder to, fo- to love one another, to love others. I don't know, is that sad to you? But God knew that we were going to need that. And it's certainly not right there in 1 John only. It goes, it's throughout the scripture, right, especially in the New Testament. But when we're talking about the church and what the church does and what believers in the church do and how they live out their faith, it is to love one another. It's one of the key ingredients of what the church is supposed to be. But here's the fire, the fire to, dou- to douse. Western developed cultures are individualistic cultures. We are individualistic cultures. The first garden, first, sorry, the first couple in the garden made some pretty individualistic decisions. They didn't worry about what their decisions, how what the impact of their decisions were on anybody else. It was just about them, right? Remember that? The very first people made some pretty individualistic decisions. It's not a new thing to be self-centered. Do you have that slide on individualism? I mean, the picture, the picture. No, you don't, but it's okay. Individualism regards as most important self-sufficiency and independence. Self-sufficiency and independence. When I first moved here, I went to uh, get a burrito up the street at Tio. And I went in there, and on the wall it said, uh, no friends on a snow day. I don't know if it still has that sign. Is the sign still in there? Anyway, no friends on a snow day. Being from Dallas, I'd never really heard anything like that before. Nobody says anything like that in Texas, ever. If you're from Texas, have you ever heard anything like that until you came here? You can answer out loud. No. No friends on a snow It was... And I was starting to learn about the culture of Crested Butte. Crested Butte is a very specific, unique culture in a very individualistic culture. We prize individuality. We prize independence. We prize self-sufficiency. I was just having a conversation with Tyler Smith, and he was asking, you know, why is it so hard to find people to do big service projects for? I was like, because people are so self-sufficient here, and independence is so important. It's just part of the thread of it for us. We're really the definition of that. In fact, you could put Crested Butte as a little picture after individualism. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just who we are. We really are those people. We didn't come here for the most part, no offense to anybody here, I just want to tell the truth, for other people. We came to see if we could do it experience it, to be different from all those other people who didn't have the courage to do what we're doing, to live the dream. Somebody said this morning, I said, how are you doing? You know, living the dream. There's a slippery slope to individualism and we get right on the edge of it. It's this super strong force that is, I think, within individualism that we own as, as humans and as Christians today and in this church and in this community. Um, and it's called egoism. 
Now you can throw that slide up. This is John Beverly Robinson. He wrote this in the early 1900s. Modern egoism, as propounded by Nietzsche and Shaw, is the realization by the individual that they are an individual. That is, as far as they are concerned, they are the only individual. No friends on a snow day. That's our way of saying that. Individualism uh, is not an original idea, right? I said we had the first couple making individualistic, uh, very selfish decisions. But I wonder if you remember Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king of Judah. And, and him, you know how they always, uh, how the, when you're reading about the kings, if you read that, it's like he was evil and he was good and he was evil and he was good, evil, 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 evil good, evil, evil, right? Well, Hezekiah was good and he reigned for a long time. And every year when I read the Bible, I'm coming through and I get to, Hezek- I get to the story of Hezekiah in 2 Kings and it's also in uh, Isaiah. And I just finished this section in Isaiah where he repeats what 2 Kings says, where Hezekiah was sick and he said, God, please um, don't let me die. And I, because Isaiah had told him, you're, you're going to die from this. He's like, please don't let me die. Just let me have a few more years. I've been a good king, blah, blah, blah. So God allows him to live. But he says, um, Hard things are going to come after you die. And here's Isaiah telling him what's going to happen. Tell me if you think this sounds like egoism. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house, this is after you die, and that which your fathers have stored up till this day, everything in Israel shall be carried to Babylon. This is the big exile, right? Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs, bad, in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, there will be peace and security in my days. Dang. Can you imagine if your dad said that? <laughs> I'm mortified by that. Because here's a great, you know, leader. Here's this guy, you know, we, I'm, we're reading about him right now. In the Bible, who was that messed up, that means I could go there, right? That's in me, and it's in us. He's gone beyond individualism to egoism. I truly matter more than others. And y'all... I don't want to be offensive to you. I just want you to think about it. I think we swirl right around that all the time. If you live here especially, I wouldn't say the same thing in Texas. I don't know what I'd say. I haven't been there in too long. So this fire, number one, is God is using his word to remind us that other people matter. I wonder if in closing this point, I could just ask you this week to do a self-awareness test. On your, I don't know exactly what the question is. I tried to think about it. Um, are you aware of your tendency to be an individualist? We need to put some of that fire out. Individualism, being independent, moving forward, making decisions on it, that's fine stuff, but douse what goes towards Hezekiah, right? Fire number two, we got to stoke this one, and that is this, love for one another. More from John. 
I'm, I gotta read these to you again because I want you to hear. From, this is from John, 1 John 3, 11. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. This is his commandment that we believe in the Son, his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. In this is love, not that we loved him, but he became the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God loved us, we also ought to love one another. Um, so who exactly is one another? I mean, do you, I mean, I'm asking myself that. What do you mean? Like, who is one another? How can I box that in? Uh, do you remember when this overly self, uh, uh, or religious, uh, self-centered person, a scribe, asked Jesus the same question, but he said, who's my neighbor, Right? Um, Jesus had said, love your neighbor as yourself. And the scribe said, who's my neighbor? In other words, who's included in one another? It's the same question. So Jesus tells the story of the man lying beaten and robbed and ignored on the side of the road. And he asks, who do you suppose was the neighbor to the injured man? Right, the Samaritan has come by and helped him. And the scribe says, I suppose the one who showed him mercy and Jesus doesn't say, wow, you got it right. High five, fist bump. Because um, he only got it partially right. Um, of all the people who passed, the, all of the people who passed the broken man were his neighbor. But only one acted like it. Because Jesus was saying that proximity is neighborhood. In fact, just the word neighbor in the Greek and in the English and in the German from which we get the word neighbor all means the guy next to you. It's the same word. It was about proximity. The action came after the proximity was acknowledged. I mean, one another, that just phrase in English is, a, is kind of a pretty phrase. One another. It's warm. It's nice. It has a, a sort of a, a, a beautiful, um, uh, you can understand this definition of, of mutual dependence and concern and neighborliness. And John is calling out what should be the calling card of the church, that we love our neighbors, those who are next to us. So I thought I'd ask you this, and it might be uncomfortable, but who is next to you? Go ahead and look. Both ways. <laughs> I know you're trying not to look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The answer to the scribe's question, Jesus says, is no matter how ugly and no matter how bloody and no matter how sick and no matter how poor and messed up or how great or how proud or how rich or whatever, the person next to you is your neighbor. The person you're in proximity with is your neighbor. Um. So here's the application, I think. Wherever you are this week, we can just do this week, when you're looking around the coffee shop, you're looking around the office, you're looking at the person sleeping next to you, you're looking at who's like uh, checking your, your lift or beeping, you know, check, what do they do? <laughs> There's that one sound when they go across you and it's, it makes the cool, it's like, you know what I'm talking about? There's like two different sounds. I like to get the special sound. 
Um, the second fire that needs to be stoked is our love for one another. And then finally, um, fire number three, and this is, our, this is for believers especially, our love for lost people, people who don't know Jesus. We have a special fire instilled in us if you are a believer that says people who don't know Jesus, I want them to know him, right? That's that little spark that's inside of you that you feel. In this is love, he says, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. So he says, this is why you are going to love one another. The big reason, he says, it's the gospel. And I just want to share a couple of things about that in the idea of sharing what is about Jesus that is so special, by introducing him to others. Um, it says that Jesus came out of love for us, right? For lost people. Because if you're a believer, you were once lost. You just didn't, lost, it just means you don't know him. You haven't been brought in. And the reason we talk about lost is it comes from Luke 15. And Luke 15, if you want to read that, three stories, some of the best stuff in the Bible. I'm going to read you part of the first one. This is Luke 15, four to seven. This is such good stuff. What man of you, Jesus says, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one, doesn't leave the 99 in the open country, go after the one who's lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Right after this, he tells the story of the lost coin. The woman loses one of her coins and she goes after it. She moves all the stuff and she finds the lost coin and she calls her friends together and they have a celebration. Um, like Jesus, his followers have this seed that drives us to care about giving the story of the gospel to other people. That we couldn't earn it. We couldn't earn knowing him. We couldn't earn, presence in, we couldn't earn our presence in his kingdom in the future. But because he came first, he was sent because we were lost. He came for us. And he was the propitiation for our sins. Now, I know all of you are longing to stand up and give the definition of propitiation in front of everyone here. It's not a word we often use but it's super rich in the original language. So we're going to take propitiation, no offense to you theologians, and we're going to throw it over our shoulder, okay? And we're going to talk about the idea contained in the original word. Um, propitiation, really, the, the heart of it means that Jesus was the means of our forgiveness. Jesus was the means of our forgiveness. That's what propitiation means. So let's talk about the means of... This is how we were forgiven, through Jesus. But there's two, other word, there's two other meanings built into that same exact word. One of them is mercy. So when we say the word propitiation, what we mean is that Jesus was the means of our forgiveness and it was by his mercy. Do you remember how the scribe answered Jesus about the neighbor? He said, I think the one that was his neighbor was the one who showed him mercy. And there's another aspect to it. And it's the same word for cheerfulness. Um, all of that meaning is packed into this idea 
of Jesus being the means of our forgiveness, cheerfulness, joy in doing that, and that it is mercy towards us, that great characteristic of God that's revealed in Exodus 34. He is merciful and compassionate towards us. I love how rich that is. I hope you'll think about it. Followers of Jesus get to be a part of that story. It's hard to say, I'm really a a big part of the story of the propitiation. But if you look at it this way, the means of forgiveness, cheerfulness, and mercy, that's a different look. Well, let me ask the musicians to come back up. Um, We're going to close. Thank you for bearing with us a little bit later than usual today. Um, We're going to, during this last song, um, we're going to offer communion. And Tyler, I suppose, will lead you through that. Here in uh, in the corners back there, you can go at your leisure uh, during the song. So how do we reset our value on one another? On the one another, on the neighbor. One, the first fire, quench the self-centered independence that we love so much. Balance that out. Stoke the fire of love for your immediate neighbor, the person right beside you. Second, pour gas on the fire of your love for lost people. Now, I was reflecting uh, this week on running to my neighbor's house, and I'll just close with this thought. Um, I was kind of overwhelmed by the urgency that I felt. I haven't felt that urgent about something in a long time. I was interested by the lack of concern of whether I fell in the driveway, was splayed out, and had to be rescued myself. I didn't care if it was hard to run, if I couldn't breathe, if it hurt real bad. I just didn't care. In fact, it felt really good. It felt, it felt like I was like, I'm in the right place. I'm doing the right thing. This is the best thing I could be doing. As awkward as it looked. And I thought, well, you know what? I mean, is this not what it might feel like to like love one another? So yeah, I'm in the right place. Um, is that like what it feels like to have the urgency to tell a friend or introduce a friend to Jesus? That's being in the right place. That's loving one another. And I'll, I'll leave you with this. I, I hope that it will be joyful those who follow Jesus in this place um, will be characterized by what John calls us to, to love one another.